You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. Let's just pray as we open up His Word. Lord, we thank you. We don't take it for granted the fact that we get to gather together in freedom and in your presence because of the work of Jesus. Lord, I pray in these next few moments you'd speak to every single person's heart. You are the God of the universe that can gather such a diverse, eclectic group of people and yet apply your truth so intimately, so personally to every single person here this morning. So I pray you do it again, God. You're so good. Amen. This morning I want to share a message with you called Wonders Told. As we are wrapping up this series called Wonder, we've been in this series for a number of weeks, and we believe that God has been opening up our eyes to the wonder of who he is, the beauty of who he is, the majesty of who he is. He's been doing that in my heart. I've been growing in my appreciation as I've just gazed upon God in a new way, in a fresh way. And last week... I started to unpack the logical response to an encounter of the wonder of God. If you, if you begin to see God in a different light, in a different way, you begin to see him for who he is, the logical response is an expression of worship. I, I, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about how the, there's, these, there's these creatures in, in heaven. It talks about it in the book of Revelation. And these creatures, when they see God for who he is, they just say, holy, he's set apart. There's none like him. And so it is when we encounter God, when we just see him in a little, little bit of a different light, our, our logical expression is to worship him in some way. We talked about that last week. Well, I want to take that a step further this morning and talk about the power of our words. That when we encounter God in a significant way, when he takes us just one step closer towards him, and we begin to see him for who he is, I believe that we have a responsibility to steward that which we've encountered. We have a responsibility to cherish it as a gift. The God of the universe has revealed himself to us. And we can either squander it or we can cherish it. We can embrace it and allow it to actually set the stage, set the platform for God to do even more in our lives. So we have a responsibility to steward. You can even see that in the, what initiates us into the kingdom of God. We believe that you can enter the kingdom of God, as Jesus said. No man can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again. That, that experience of being born again, be, that rebirth, happens through a confession of faith. You experience Jesus, you realize, wow, I'm in need of a Savior. I want to surrender my life to this one who's revealed his love to me. There is a, it's not just a faith encounter in the, in the internal soul of who we are, but there's an outward expression of faith in our mouth. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. The two are, they work together. Internal faith and outward expression are connected. I believe it's at that point that there's an outward expression. It's like it's reached critical mass. Our faith has reached this point where now we can express it outwardly. And we're saying, now Jesus is Lord. The level of faith has reached a point where something has to be expressed. And now we confess Jesus Lord. We call that saving faith. You're welcomed into the kingdom of heaven at that point. At the end of my message this morning, I'm, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond this morning, to confess Jesus Lord. If you're here this, mor this morning, that's something that you want to make a part of your life. I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning to do that. If you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm 40. Psalm 40. 
Our main idea this morning is this, that our words have the power to build on what we encounter or tear down what we've encountered in Christ. God reveals himself to us. And we have an opportunity to like, create a space, an environment that stewards what God's revealed to us, which actually makes more space for him to do even more. Or we can squander it through our words if we're not careful about the words that come out of our mouth. And in actuality, we're tearing down the very things that God has done in our lives. My wife and I, we've been married now 10 years. And in our 10 years of marriage, we've owned two different houses. Our, the first house we owned was over 100 years old. This last house that we live in currently is it's about 30 years old. But regardless of the age of your home, if you're going to be a homeowner, you just have to embrace the reality of maintenance and projects. But I've quickly realized that I am not handy. I'm just not. My, my, my dad is handy. I have brothers that create masterpieces in carpentry, and, and I'm just not handy. It seems like anything I put my hands to begin tinkering with, I make it worse. I open it up like there's a problem already, and I open it up and I create a bigger problem. Uh, JF has fixed most of my problems. That I, I start something and then I just call JF. That, that's, that's where I am. I've, I've realized, me and my wife were now trying to plan the idea of changing out some flooring upstairs in our house, and we started crunching the numbers. You know, maybe I should try to do the work myself, and began to realize, you know, I just don't have the patience. I don't have the, I don't probably have the skill to do it. Um, but what, one thing I did realize, I said, I'll do the demolition work. I'll, I'll grab the crowbar, I'll grab whatever, whatever's needed, I'll tear out the old flooring, I'll get a dumpster, I'll haul, haul out garbage, because demolition work, demolishing things doesn't take skill. It doesn't. But when it gets to the, the end product, the finished work, that takes skill, that takes competency, that takes a special eye, that takes training. But demolition work, tearing things apart, does not take skill. Because you're not even thinking about what's coming next. You're just tearing out what is in front of you. So it is with our words. It is easy to tear things apart in our lives. And, and this morning, I'm talking two dimensions. I'm talking self-talk, and I'm talking about the words that come out and how, and how they affect the people around us. And so in both regards, in the words that we speak over our own lives and the words that we speak out for others to hear, it is easy to speak words that demolish and tear down. It's really easy. It doesn't take a lot of skill. You don't have to be trained in it. It is our natural bent towards uh, uh, cynicism and unbelief and negativity. And granted, some people are more positive, but no, no matter who you are, if you're not careful, words that can come out of your mouth tear down and they don't build up. And so as people of God, as followers of Christ, I believe we have a calling on our lives to be trained in the ways of being skillful with our tongue, of being people that realize there's power in our mouths, there's power in our words, and all oh, that we would be people here at LifePoint Church that would see the opportunity before us to speak life and be so skilled at it, that we see an opportunity and we're like, well, this is, this, is this is my chance. I can now build up this person. I can build up this situation. Every time we do that, every time we embrace those opportunities, what we're doing is we're, we're building a, a space, we're building an environment, a platform for God to move, for God to do something even greater. And so as we look at Psalm chapter 40, 
David has lived an amazing life and he's experienced many things, many amazing things in God. You could say David's just a really lucky guy. I would actually venture to say that David experienced so much in Christ because every little thing God did in his life, he expressed back gratitude and praise. He was quick to voice his affection and adoration for God. He didn't sit passively by waiting for somebody else to express gratitude to God or to be motivated to it. It's like God revealed himself to David and, and what he did is he quickly responded by saying, thank you, God. And it's over 70 of the Psalm, the 150 Psalms that we have that we're gifted with are written by David. And it's like every time he would express adoration, affection, the wonder of God, he creates a space for God to do even more because David would be building up his inner man. All of a sudden, he'd have more faith to see God's work all around him in the little things of life. And God would move. So let's read Psalm 40 here as we talk about the power of words to build up and to tear down. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. And he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me, O Lord. Make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame. You who say, aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Once again, David articulating, taking the time to realize the responsibility that he has to steward what he's encountered. He'd encountered so much in God. He had seen God in a light that others hadn't seen. And so he didn't squander it. Instead, he embraced the opportunity to express the wonders of God. And I'm calling that wonders told. There is power in the tongue. And you have all been given a tool. And it's this little body part inside your mouth called your tongue. And there's power in the tongue. If there's one thing I want you to leave with a sense of as you leave this place this morning, it's the sense of the power in the tongue. I believe our, the words that we articulate 
bring to life, they bring substance, they bring body to the beliefs and thoughts that go on inside of us. We all got a whole world that goes on inside of us. And the words that come out of us give life and body and structure to the beliefs and thoughts inside of us. David realized that. That's why in verse 3 he says, He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise. That was an expression of what God was doing inside of him. He wanted to express to God through song who God is. Verse 5, he says, the, the multiplied wonders of God, they're, they're, there's none that compare with God. And he says, I will proclaim them. There are more than can be told. He, know, he knows that talking about the wonders of God can never be exhausted. You can talk about the wonders of God day in, day out, and never reach their end. Verse 9, he says, I have told the glad news of deliverance. He is not restrained. I have not restrained my lips. And then in verse 16, he says, May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. That is the pattern for David's life. He realizes the power of his, the power of his tongue. And I don't, I don't believe this is just set apart for some personalities, like David was just more expressive. No, every single one of us is given a tongue. And we're all given an opportunity to steward the words that come out of our mouths, over our lives and over the lives of those around us. Proverbs 18, verse 21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those that love it will eat of its fruit. It goes both ways. There's the power to build up, or there's the power to tear down. Matthew 12, verses 34 through 37, Jesus says this, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Exactly what I said. It's like reaching critical mass, mass, and all of a sudden our mouth speaks out, affirming what we truly believe. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Our words matter. They really, really matter. It's not just a matter of saying, I believe this in my heart. There's a connection between the words that come out of our mouth and what happens inside of our own heart and mind. And so to draw this vividly before your eyes, I, I brought these two poster boards here. So as you leave this place, you realize the dichotomy, the, the contrast, the huge divide between these two worlds that you can choose to live in. You can, leave, you can live in this realm of being a person that, that so desires to build yourself up in your inner man through your words and build up those around you, constantly creating an atmosphere and environment where God wants to move, where God is so attracted, where, where faith is built up, where hope is, hope is built up. The promises of God are talked about. Or you can kind of fall into a default mode, which is being a person that tears down sarcasm, cynicism, unbelief. You can call yourself a realist, whatever you want to call yourself. But it's this person that constantly is tearing down, seeing the negative, seeing the speck in your neighbor's eye. And so to do that, and to also illustrate the fact that I'm such a, not a good handyman, I had to put my tools to use since I never use them. Um, I brought some tools here with me. Tools that build up, tools like a hammer. You can't just start swinging this thing around, right? You have to have precision, and, but there's so much power in a hammer. But you don't go swinging it around. You, you have the end product in mind when you're using a hammer. 
got a power drill. Obviously, this can go in reverse, but really the intention is to be drilling something to provide more strength. And you have the finished product in mind. I got a circular saw here. Looks like I use it, but I've used it a few times. But But a circular saw, this has the finished product in mind. Words can cut. Even words that build up, they can cut because they can cut right to the heart. But they have the finished product in mind. This is not a hack job. When you use a circular saw, it's calculated. It's measured. And, And you care about how straight it is. And a paintbrush. This makes things beautiful. You have the end product, the aesthetic in mind of how it's going to look in the end. And all those tools are like like your mouth, like your tongue. You choose to build up. You have an end product in mind. You have a vision for people's life that maybe they don't even have for themselves because you see what God sees in them. If we get over here to those that tear down, you see this bad boy right here. You see a chainsaw. This is not... This is not a tool you use for a finished product. This is just a hack job tool, right? You just got to remove something. It doesn't matter what it looks like at the end. You're just going to start swinging this thing. This is a chainsaw. I know. You guys are all, that sounds scary. But. We, got a pry, we got a pry bar, crowbar. This is silent, but it's powerful to tear things apart. I'm going to talk about, talk about that in a moment. You got this guy. Sledgehammer. This doesn't belong. This doesn't belong to me. But, but you just swing. This is they hand these to the, in the HGTV shows. They hand this to the homeowner, right? Because you don't you don't need to be skilled. You do not need to be licensed to swing one of these bad boys. You just start going for it, and destruction happens. So it is with our tongue. When we're not mindful, when we're not mindful of the stewards that we are with our words, it's just like swinging a sledgehammer causes destruction. And we got a paint scraper. It's small. But it causes damage. And it do, it's not thinking about the end product. It's just about removing what's in front of it painfully. So it is with our words. So there, there's four types of words that I want to highlight through Psalm 40 and using these tools before us this morning. Four types of words that I want you to embrace over your life. That I want you to be equipped with using from this place. First is words of faith. You see in verse 4, David declares over his life, blessed is the, the man who makes the Lord his trust. He declared that truth over his life, which is a word of faith. He's saying, when I abandon and surrender my life fully to God, God blesses it. That's a word of faith. And every time we speak a word of faith, it's, it's building, building our, up our inner man. And when we speak up a, a word of faith over ourselves, you can contrast that, as David does, with lies. It's so easy to cling to lies of the enemy. And he says that as he follows in verse 4. He says, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go, go astray after a lie. The opposite of this, this life that David talks about, where he says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, for, for, he, for he is blessed. The opposite of that is this pride, pride, prideful self-dependence. We're relying upon ourselves. We begin to believe these lies that oh, I can do this on my own. Those are lies of the enemy. You're not self-sufficient. You cannot depend on your own strength. But the more and more you embrace these words of faith that say, in God I can accomplish whatever he puts before me as I'm fully surrendered to him. 
blessings and favor follow me as I follow him, as I lay down my life for him. He blesses it. I use, I use the examples of the, the two cutting objects to talk about words of faith. We got the circular saw. So much of a circular saw is it needs to be calculated. It needs to have the finished product in mind. And so it is with our words of faith. We're thinking about what is to come. We're thinking about the promises of God. What God says about a situation. What God says about a person. What God says about you and your life. As opposed to a chainsaw. Which is so much like lies. The lies of the enemy. Lies of the enemy just wreaks havoc. It's not concerned about what is to come other than it being removed from your life, life being removed from you. That would be people that cling to words of faith. I've had many friends in my life that have been so, um, such a gift to me in the area of words of faith. They just know how to encourage me. They know how to call out the best in me. And even over this weekend, I was reminded of this because I, I had a friend call me up and he left a voicemail on my, my, my phone. I was fully in, engaged with my kids, so I missed his phone call. My wife was at a women's conference down in Des Moines. But he left a voicemail, and, and just quintessential him, he left this, these uh, words of faith on my voicemail. He said, Drew, I just, I'm so thankful for you. I b- believe in the work that God's doing through you in Ames. God has anointed you. And he just goes off on this voicemail with words of faith. How cool is that? How cool is it to be encouraged after listening to a voicemail? That is a friend that is learning how to build up others around them, to create a space and environment for God to move. He's stewarding what he's encountered by building others up. Oh, that would be people that learn how to use words of faith. So now, as we think about your own life, think about how in your, over yourself you can begin to declare words of faith. Even just verse 4, if you were just to say, Lord, I am blessed when I put my trust in you. When I put my trust in you, Lord, I am blessed. Why don't you just say that right now out loud? I am blessed when I put my trust in the Lord. I am blessed when I put my trust in the Lord. When you surrender your life to God, you are blessed. Speak it out over your life. While you're driving down the road, say, I'm blessed when I follow you, God. Doesn't mean everything in your life is going to go perfect, but he's going to supply what you need. Blessings and favor and anointing. Enough for the day. Just imagine yourself speaking words of faith over your kids. You begin to speak the truth of God's word over your kids over your spouse, over your friends. Those are words of faith. What about words of praise? That's the second type of words that I want to just equip you with. Words of praise. Verse 3, he's, he's told the glad news of deliverance of the great congregation. He's not restrained his lips. He had words of praise. And fittingly enough, today is Palm Sunday. Today is the day we remember when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey And the hearts of the people were overflowing as they recognized him as king, as Messiah. And people put down on the the road palm branches in their garments. as an expression of praise. And they were singing Hosanna in the highest to Jesus. 
It was a proclamation of praise. They were words of praise. But Jesus says something profound. He says in Luke chapter 19, verse 40, he says, if these were silent, these people, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So here's the kicker. Praise isn't so much for just because God is in need of our glory. He's going to receive the glory no matter what. Praise is an invitation for you and I to participate in, the, in telling of who God is. And these people were blessed just because they got to express the praise of Jesus as King, as Messiah. If they didn't do it, the stones were going to do it. Jesus wasn't worried. He knew he'd receive the glory that was due his name. He was fully worthy of praise. So I want, I want to use the hammer and the crowbar to illustrate this. Hammers are powerful. They need precision, though. You can begin equipping yourself with precise words of praise from the Psalms. We've been walking through them now for, for weeks. Just thumb through the Psalms, and you can equip yourself with precise, powerful words of praise. So you don't need to be a musician. And honestly, hammers are like the, the layman's tool. We can all use a hammer. But you do need to be thoughtful about it. You do need to be purposeful about it and precise still. Like you can still cause damage. So equip yourself with psalms. Grab, grab, grab your Bible, open it up, and begin to equip yourself with powerful psalms that can be psalm, words of praise in your life. I compare, contrast that with the crowbar, which is like silence. The opposite of praise is silence. What Jesus said, if, there, if, if you didn't praise me, the rocks would cry out. If you were silent, the rocks would cry out. The opposite of not opening up our mouths and praising God for who he is, is silence. And I believe whenever we're silent, it's, it's, it's giving the enemy this tool, like a crowbar, and we're just opening up, our, opening up um, a door in our lives for the enemy to steal what God had done in our life. God's done something amazing in your life, and you need to proclaim, praise him for it. Otherwise, I believe the enemy uses that as an open door. He opens up that door and he wants to steal back what the Lord has done in your life. I think an amazing example of that is in Acts chapter 16. There's a story of Paul and Silas in prison. That's a pretty miserable situation to be in jail. I won't, raise, I won't ask you to raise your hand if you've been in jail. But if you're in jail, it's a bad day. And they were in jail for proclaiming the name of Jesus. But they chose to sing and make music and praise the Lord with their mouth. They may, they may have not been great singers. But they chose to praise the Lord despite their circumstances like we talked about last week. And, and I, I believe God responded. I believe heaven responded. If you're familiar with the story in Acts 16, an angel of the Lord appeared and an earthquake shook them free out of the jail in Acts chapter 16. It created an atmosphere of expectation and faith for God to move, so it is with praise. I don't know what would have happened if, if they would have just sat there in silence. I don't, I don't know. I would actually venture to say they probably, probably wouldn't have been freed in the same way. It's such a radical move of God's power in that moment. Words of praise. Thirdly is words of proclamation. Words of proclamation. Verse 5 says, the wondrous deeds of the Lord's thoughts toward us are so multiplied. They're more than we can, can even talk about. And so we, we want to talk. We want to proclaim those things to other people. And in verse 10, 
He says, I've not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I've not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness. So when I talk about words of proclamation, I'm talking about proclaiming the good, the good things of God, the goodness of God, the wonders of God to others around us. This is like testifying of what God has done in your life. Can I tell you that God is equipping you to testify to others around you about what he's done in your life? You do not have to go to Bible school. You don't have to go to some, some class to, for me to sign a certificate. If, God, if you've encountered God, you can turn around and then tell somebody else what you've experienced. Just say it like it is. People, I think, respond to that sort of genuine, uh, humble uh, caring of the goodness of God and what God's done in their lives. I love hearing the, the testimonies from Trinidad. And so I, I, I wanted uh, Nicole Gilson. She was on this trip with Kyle. Alpha. Would you come forward, Nicole? She had just an amazing experience. It was like a throwback having her on the trip to Trinidad because she went on the trip her freshman year like 16 years ago so to Tobago. So, um, so it was cool that she was able to go. But she had an amazing experience, uh, kind of walked in on a party. Will you talk about the testimony that you, that you uh, encountered on the streets? Yeah, you can stay down there. Um, so as, as Drew was saying, we were going door-to-door um, -door, um, in Trinidad, and it was wonderful. I got an opportunity to go with two locals. So the, um, the two of them and I, we were getting to that time of day when um, we should be, you know, thinking about heading back, and, and there was one more home that we were, you know, considering going to, and we just, you know, asked the Holy Spirit, and we really felt like he was prompting us to, to do one more home, and so, you know, we approach this house, and we hear this music, and these people are like, come on in, come on in, and um, little did we know, we just stepped into this big birthday party for this 81-year-old um, woman, and she was absolutely wonderful, and so we asked her, um, you know, if there's anything that we could pray for you for, we just want to bless you in the name of Jesus. And um, she's like, yeah, absolutely, pray for me. And she got her entire family. She had them all huddled around. And so we had this big huddle. And, and it was a simple prayer, you guys. I didn't say anything profound, but the presence of God fell in that place. And um, you could even hear the, the music was still playing, but the presence of God fell. And, and afterwards, um, her daughter approached me, and she was just weeping, and she said, um, she said, as you were praying, um, the Lord reminded me um, that when I, was, when I was born, I was born deaf, and I was raised in a family of, we didn't really have, have faith in, in God or um, in anyone, and my mom was just so desperate that she was taking me place to place to place um, just to be healed. And she ended up finding this pastor who prayed over her and said, in Jesus' name, your ears are opened. And in that moment, she was healed. And she said, until you guys came today, I had forgotten who my God was. And so just that stewarding of the testimony on your life, and it's so simple. There was nothing profound, but the presence of God, just speaking a prayer of blessing, was able to touch them and bring them back. So, Amen. Awesome. So for those of you that don't know, Nicole Gilson is our children's ministry director. She's a phenomenal leader, and we're so blessed to have her back from California and working with our kids. God's doing amazing things with our kids downstairs. Um, but that testimony is like a double whammy because there's the ripple effect of Nicole's proclamation 
affecting the faith of others, affecting the atmosphere. Other people are drawn towards God because she was willing to testify about the goodness of God. But there's also an illustrative point through this grandmother's daughter, the one who was deaf, because she didn't proclaim, she did not testify about the things of God, that God had healed her. It had like, she had forgot about the goodness of God, the reality of God, that she was healed. And most of us think that if we receive a miraculous healing, everything would change. Of course, I'd be convinced of God. But I would say, I'd venture to say, just from the testament of Scripture, that we are very forgetful beings of the power of God. When we, when we forget to testify about his goodness constantly, talking about these wonders told, the goodness of God. Thank you, Nicole, for sharing that testimony. The opposite of words of proclamation is fear and timidity. When we fall into the, the default modes of caring what everyone else thinks, fear of rejection, fear of people around us, and timidity, that's the opposite. Most of you on your seats uh, in front of you, or sorry, the seats when you came in had a little postcard there for Easter. I want to challenge you this Easter to use this as an opportunity to speak out words of proclamation, to testify of God's goodness. See, here's the thing with Easter, which makes it an easy invite. That's why we're encouraging everyone to invite somebody to Easter, is most people think of going to church on Easter. And so it's like, it's a slam dunk for you. They're, they're not going to be offended or caught, oh, yeah, of course, yeah, you go to church on Easter, of course. And most people, if they would consider any time that they would go, it would be Easter. And so I would just encourage you to grab that postcard Think of one person that you can give it to, whether it be a neighbor or a coworker, somebody you go to school with. Next Sunday, we have two services, 9 and 11. Everybody say that, 9 and 11. Yeah, so if you show up at 10, you're like in the awkward in-between. And we'll all know, we'll all know, because you're never an hour early. So it's 9 and 11. So come, but with the whole reason we're doing that, that's like a, a kind of a venture of faith on our part as a church, saying we want to make space for more. We want to give opportunity for people to invite people to church. And Easter is an easy time to do that. Next, next Sunday's service is not just going to be a typical service. There's going to be special music. We're, we're integrating people's stories and testimonies into the Sunday morning uh, experience. And so invite somebody along. It's going to be a ton of fun. The fourth type of word I want to encourage you, challenge you, equip you with is words of expectation. Verse 17, he couldn't hold David back. And in verse 17, he says, As for me, I'm poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. It's like he knew God was coming. God was his deliverer. He had this expectation that in his own desperation, all of his needs would be fully met in God. These are words of expectation. And all that we would be people that have this expectation, and we speak it out over our lives. We speak it out over those around us. I contrast that with doubt and apathy. If you just kind of settle for the status quo, for mediocrity, that's, I believe, falling into the camp of tearing down. Because God's kingdom is always moving things forward. He's always wanting to change and redeem and bring hope. And so when we default to apathy, I believe we're falling into the camp of tearing things down. All that we'd be people that have words of expectation constantly on our tongue. 
I, I use the uh, paintbrush and the, the paint scraper to illustrate this. I believe paint, I painted through college. I have, a, I have a love for paint. I do enjoy painting. Because painting creates this, this atmosphere of freshness and newness and brightness and uh, life, right? Vitality, like, oh, this is, this is a great place. This place has been cared for. This place has been loved. Those are words of expectation, that you actually have faith for the future of whatever is in front of you, as opposed to a paint scraper. This creates a really dismal future. <laughs> like, this is, it just makes something look worse than when, before you stepped into the room. When you take a paint scraper, it looks worse after when you're done with it. So it is with apathy. Apathy and doubt. No one wants to be around somebody who's constantly doubting everything and cynical about everything and apathetic. Like, oh, nothing's going to change. Oh, everything's just going down the, going down the tubes. Oh, man. Like, that, that's just a bummer of a place to be. Let's be people that have words of expectation on our tongue. I'm going to call the worship team forward at this, point, at this moment. Here's my conviction, the conviction of my heart. I have an expectation that God is going to move. Seven years ago, I moved here with my family, moved us across the country. I didn't know a soul here because I had the burning conviction that God is going to do something special here. I, I, I gave up my job. I was a nuclear engineer. I gave up my job to come here because I believe God is going to do something special. And that conviction still burns in my heart. I'm not going to let it go. I don't care what circumstances come around me. I have this burning conviction that God is going to move. And so when people ask me, Drew, you know, what's your vision for this church? My vision is so far beyond the name of our church and our building. I just want, I want, I'll be completely honest with you. It's so far beyond that. My vision is a sovereign move of God. My vision is transformation of families. Families being restored. My vision is people being addicted that are set free. My, my vision is people that are bound by sickness and disease being healed in a moment. That's my vision, is for God to move. And I have that expectation in my heart. And I'm not going to settle for status quo. I'm not going to settle for mediocrity. I'll finish with this picture. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, since we've been talking about the life of David, David had many legacies, I believe, that, were, uh, that we can think back and recall about his life. But one of his greatest legacies was his zeal and his passion for building the temple. David just could not sleep easy at night with the reality that he lived in this grand palace in the presence of God. In, that, in the old covenant, you know, the presence of God was uh, most prominent in the Ark of the Covenant. If you don't know much about that, it's fine. You can read about it in the Old Testament. Before Jesus came and he spilt his blood, the Holy Spirit was not able to move like he is now. And so the presence of God was confined to this, this area and it really just sat in a tabernacle or a tent. That, that just ate David alive. It's like, how can I be in this glorious palace and the presence of God sits over here in this, in this tent? So he had this passion to build a place for the presence of God. And I want that to be the mantra of your life. This is not what David was saying. This is not an illustration for him of the power of words, but I want us to adopt it as that. That we can build a place that creates an atmosphere of faith, an atmosphere of expectation. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 26, this is what David says about this burning conviction in his heart. He says, and your name will be magnified forever. 
saying, the Lord of hosts is God over Israel and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord, you are God and your words are true and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. The mantra for David, because of what he had encountered, was I'm gonna build God a house. I pray that the mantra for us would be, I'm gonna build a place, I'm gonna create a space, I'm gonna create a platform for God to move. Because I speak words of life, I speak words of faith, I speak words of expectation. And when we speak those types of words and faith and expectation, it's like the whole level, the atmosphere and the place has changed because people are drawn to God. People are more hungry for God when they're around you. People are more attracted to God when they're around you. That is my prayer for you this morning. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.